listening to the international hit show, The Baby Names Podcast. And here are your hosts, the Moss Sisters. I'm Jennifer Moss. And I'm Mallory Moss. And we're the founders of babynames.com. And we're sisters too. We are. Our first segment is always interesting names we found since the last episode. And I noticed that a lot of the Rick names are coming back with Rick at the end, like Godric, Cedric, and Alaric. I don't know if it's Alaric or Alaric. I've never heard that name said out loud. Um, But I came across one. I forgot where. It's Childric. C-H-I-L-D-E-R-I-C. And you might think it means child of Eric, and I guess it could be used like that because that's the exact spelling, but it doesn't. It's a variation on the name Hildric, H-I-L-D-E-R-I-C, which is a Germanic name meaning strength in battle. Anyway, I I like both Hildric and Childric, and I've added both of them to the database. I think it looks too much like child, and I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, I met some (laughs) cutie pie twins the other day that were five weeks old. And these little babies, their names were Apollo and Clementine. Oh, that's cute. I know. I think that Clementine is darling. Oh, my darling, Clementine. (laughs) And I'm lukewarm on Apollo, but the baby sure was cute. Really? Even though you're such a big skater fan? Yeah, I mean, I know Apollo Anton Ono, but, well, it's becoming more popular, so it will definitely have more babies named Apollo around the Mm -hmm. place. But I think what's interesting is they thought it was so unique. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you're going to have a bunch of Apollos in that classroom. And as a side note, this is going to lead into our next episode, which is going to be Olympic names. Woohoo! I can't wait. I also met a Linley, L-I-N-L-E-Y, which I think is pretty cute and unusual. Often we see Lynn at the end of a name, like Ashlyn, but not as much anymore at the beginning of the name. Linley. Yeah, I think that's from an English surname, too, which... English surnames and surnames in general are hugely popular as first names, so that could come back too. And before we dive into our name topic, I want to remind you that we're conducting a special podcast listener survey to find out who you are and to help us tailor specific content to you. It only takes two minutes, I promise, to fill out, and everyone who completes the survey will be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift certificate, and we'll be giving out two of them, so the odds are in your favor. I'll put the link in the show notes. Sounds great. May the odds ever be in your favor. Yep. She said. Hunger Games. All right. Well, so this week we're picking up where we left off in the last episode, Mm -hmm. Jewish names and identity. Part one was about how names figured into the Holocaust. And if you haven't listened to that one, I recommend you pause and go listen to it. It's very powerful and extremely important to understand. Yes, absolutely. And we've gotten feedback that it was our best episode yet. And our guest was Dr. Iman Nick, who's a sociolinguist and has studied names in the Holocaust. But this week, we're talking about Jewish name changing in America after the war, and that's World War II. Our special guest is Kirsten Vermeglish, 
and she is the professor of history and Jewish studies at Michigan State University and author of A Rosenberg by Any Other Name, A History of Jewish Name Changing in America. Welcome, Kirsten, to the Baby Names Podcast. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I love the name of your book, by the way. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> My publisher initially wanted me to change it. And I thought, why? It's so much fun. No, it's perfect. So let's talk about you initially. What prompted you to start studying Jewish names and name changing in particular? Well, I have this really long, funny, uh, you know, uh, name. And so I've just, why wouldn't I study name changing, right? <laughs> Somebody who has this kind of, you know, unusual name that they carry around might be more interested in or curious about names. But actually, I found most people to be interested in and curious about names. So, you know, I think part of it is that I was interested, I've always been interested in kind of the boundaries of of Jewishness, of, you know, sort of what, what makes you Jewish, what doesn't make you Jewish, what might cross the line, right? And sort of make people question your Jewishness, might get you thrown out of the community, might allow you to leave, you know, sort of, I'm, I've been interested in those um, boundaries for a long time. And so that, that was certainly one of the things, but I'll also say that I went into the, I didn't actually necessarily know I was going to be writing about Jewish name changes. I mean, I thought I'd be writing just about name changes um, because I used city court documents. And I didn't necessarily expect that they would be overwhelmingly Jewish. I mean, they wound up, you know, I am a Jewish studies professor, so I was certainly interested in Jews, but, you know, you know, numerically, it was really pretty obvious to me as I started doing this, that there were way more Jews doing this than other group members of other groups. And that was really interesting to me as a Jewish scholar. That's cool. We just had a great discussion with Dr. Amon Nick about Jewish names in the Holocaust and particularly how it affected the European Jews with forced name changes and cultural identification. But I want to overlap a little bit and ask, how did World War II affect Jewish naming here in America? Did American anti-Semitism increase during that time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, you know, my work really, the, the bulk of my research, I started in the 1890s, 1880s, 1890s, but really wow. the, the name changing really sort of begins to become more significant during World War One. Mm -hmm. So it doubles during World War One. Um, uh, and that is a response to the growth of anti-Semitism in things like employment and education. Um, there are increasing barriers being put up to Jews in those venues. And so name changing is kind of a response to that. But then absolutely with World War II, um, there is a spike in anti-Semitism uh, during the war. More American Jewish soldiers are exposed to that anti-Semitism mm -hmm. as they are, you know, sort of put in, you know, troops with no other Jews. Um, and so they're experiencing anti-Semitism in those locations. And then, and then also sort of the rise of bureaucracy in World War II makes it increasingly kind of necessary to, you know, if you took on a name, you know, if your name was, and this is just an example, right? But if your name was like Moses, mm -hmm. right? Or if your name was Isaac and you got teased about it, you know, you would know during the war that you couldn't just kind of take on a, a, a nickname. You would really have to change your name officially so that you wouldn't be called that in the war, right? So there's a huge number of people who change their names either because they 
are soldier, they want to be soldiers, or because they want to work in defense plants, and they've taken on these names as kind of protective covers, but then they really have to officially change them if they want to be a part of the war effort. So there's this combination of bureaucracy and absolutely a spike in anti-Semitism that leads thousands of Jews to change their names during those times. Yeah, and what was interesting when I read your book was that there was so much anti-Semitism within the military Mm -hmm. itself and to the point where officers would tell the men who were enlisting to change their names it would be better for them to do so yeah yeah i mean i think you know it's interesting because there's not there's only really one kind of like recorded instance of that like definitely happening but mm -hmm. there's definitely in the petitions sort of this shared sense of like you know and, and people are saying oh you know people said you know that's not an official name or you know uh, there's a lot of kind of like um there's a, there's a strong sense that this is the case i think when people go to enlist that is the message that they're getting whether it's always stated so explicitly it's not clear but um but certainly i mean there is explicit anti-semitism from officers towards troops right wow. um there have been other books that have sort of documented anti-semitism in the military specifically now, we had an episode about pseudonyms and stage names, and, you know, it's common knowledge that old Hollywood mm -hmm. and studios renamed the young stars if their names were, quote, too ethnic. Right. But I wasn't really aware that it also happened in the military and in other professions and that people were changing their names to get considered and to further their careers in many, many other professions. But you also listed that it was more prevalent for white collar professions rather than blue collar. Why was that? I mean, I'm glad you asked about that because that's one of the things that, you know, is always kind of the fun, you know, people are always like, why don't you talk more about movie stars? And that's kind of, like, <laughs> everyone, you know, everyone wants to talk about movie stars. Um, and I think that's one of our assumptions. But yeah, I mean, I found many more secretaries and clerks and, you know, students and, you know, just ordinary people. Um, but you're right that they were white collar. Um, and that is a really important part of the story. You know, the, this push to, for Jews to change their names in the 20th century, it, it's happening in, in sort of official legal petitions, right? People have to go to the court and change their names. Mm -hmm. And what we don't think about now, I mean, the name changing looks really different now. But at that time, it was really middle class people and white collar people seeking seeking white collar jobs that um, had to fill out a job application. You know, we don't think about this now. You want to get, you know, any kind of service job. Right. And you have to fill out a, a work application. But at the time, it would have been much more common for somebody looking for domestic service or, you know, work as a longshoreman or any kind of, you know, a lot of a lot of you know construction you know, you get your job through, you know, word of mouth, through a family member. Or you just show up yeah, to a job call. Yeah. Right. Show up and show up on a, on a street corner and have mm -hmm. your body inspected. Right. So that was a much more common way for working class people to get their jobs. Whereas middle class people at that moment are having to do things like fill out job applications um, and the same thing for students. Right. And that's sort of a process to white collar jobs. Um, and it's the same thing, right? They have to fill out applications. And it is at this moment um, that J Jews, are, Jews are, are entering the middle class that the gatekeepers, employers, employment agencies, colleges begin seeing that there are more Jews there and they begin to use the application process against Jews, right? So they begin to expand their applications. So the name is the first point where they get judged, basically. 
Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, these application letters actually do wind up asking questions about name changing. Oh, I mean, wow. they're so, they're so aware, they become so aware that Jews are using this as a process that they begin expanding the application process to ask questions about name changing. Um, so it's, it's not as simple as just changing your name, but absolutely the name is kind of the first marker. Um, and, and then they ask questions that might ask for your mother's maiden name, which oh, still happens, yeah. right? Um, or, you know, and, and, or your grandfather's name, right? Or your paternal okay. grandfather's name. And all of those things are, are ways of getting rid of Jews, right? They're ways of sort of identifying, finding Jewish names, using Jewish names as a way to mark Jews um, as separate and therefore people they can discriminate against. So that is, you know, so it's this kind of, it's the emergence of this kind of process and the need for, you know, Jews strong desire and their success in a lot of ways in, you know, getting middle in, into the middle class that actually winds up also intensifying anti-Semitism and kind of an institutionalized bureaucratic um, anti-Semitism that shows up on these application forms and then encourages Jews to sort of want to change their names as a, as a means of getting those jobs. Up until what year were they allowed to do this? Were, there was obviously laws in place at some point. To change their name, you mean? No, to be able to ask them. Uh, so I looked at New York in particular. So in 1945, New York um, passes with a lot of push from Jewish civil rights activists, particularly in the organization, the American Jewish Congress. New York passes uh, the first um, civil rights law with real teeth um, in the country. And actually that law specifically says you can't ask on application forms uh, questions about race, ethnicity, religious background. And then the, the, the commission that's basically like the, the, the very, one of the very first, the very first um, civil rights commission, right? That looks at, to make sure people are being treated equally in employment um, determines that questions about name changes are in fact discriminatory. So I would say 1940s, certainly in New York, it's 1945, right? And sort of the years between 1945 and 1950s, early 50s, right. that that begins to sort mm -hmm. of be hammered out. But then, you know, on a larger scale nationally, the 1964 Civil Rights Act makes those kinds of questions illegal. Although, of course, the application forms themselves, you know, the structure of them now that we see, you know, even when you, you know, people applying to college today, they still bear the mark of a lot of these things. So I'm pretty sure I was still asking questions, answering questions about my, you know, made names and things like that on application forms or what my grandfather's occupation was, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. to some extent by 64, you know, some of the most blatant questions, like what's the name of your minister or things like that were eliminated. Yeah. But some of them still... What church do you go to? Oh, absolutely. And that was a question. That was totally a question. Mm -hmm. People would wind up like wow. memorizing the name of the church down the block so that they could have something to say. Wow. And I have a question. Yeah. Were there Jewish groups like the AJC that were against name changes or feeling shamed by that? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. There is a lot of um, conflict within the Jewish community, especially, I would say, after World War II. There are definitely, like, Jewish leaders, not so much the American Jewish Congress. There are individuals within the American Jewish Congress who come out against name-changing, but the Congress itself, you know, is is more interested in sort of protecting name-changers from facing discrimination, right? Um, but nonetheless, there are absolutely 
Jewish leaders who sort of say, yeah, you know, name changers are, you know, looking to get out of the Jewish community. They are, you know, they don't necessarily call them traitors, but they say they are looking to pass out of the Jewish community. They they are self-hating Jews mm. um, who are, you know, basically apt to betray us and, and leave the community. Um, so yeah, there was, I mean, there's definitely right after the war, like 47, 48, 49, there um, is a great deal of sort of really anguished public debate um, actually not in Jewish newspapers, but in, you know, larger, you know, Reader's Digest and Atlantic Monthly, where people are, you know, Jews are, you know, sort of castigating other Jews for changing their names. And then other Jews, some of whom remain anonymous, you know, defend themselves, you know, and say, this is why I did it, you know, so there's this mm -hmm. very, um, yeah, there is absolutely mm -hmm. some efforts to shame, like on a very public, um, in a very public way to shame name changers. And I want to get into our family's story, too, because our surname was changed. And you said that it was very common for families as a whole to change their name. And that's what happened to us. My dad's dad had passed. As far as we know, and we checked with each other before we talked with you, uh -huh. we felt we were told that it was because it was comical. But I have a feeling it kind of goes a little further than that. Um, Mallory, why don't you say what grandma said to dad when he was a teenager? Yeah, when dad was going into high school, grandma told him to not tell anyone that he was Jewish. Hmm. That's really interesting. And I didn't remember that at all. That's so there was definitely a covering there. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you talk about that. But but I have a feeling that you know, as you said in the book, it was highly acceptable for Jews to do this. It was a custom. And he was very into his career. And I wonder if there was something kind of a little down deeper into changing it to something a little more, um, you know, goy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, so it's interesting that you say this. So I have, when I looked through my, the petitions and I, I categorize them, um, the, the best example is, you know, people changing their name from Lipschitz or Lipschitz, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, it, there's a slur, right? Like these are names that don't include a slur in their native language, but you come in here and it, not a slur, but it's a, right. you know, whatever. It's a word that yeah. you don't necessarily want as part of your name, right? And so I always kind of hesitated because on the one hand, you know, you can see somebody not wanting this term in their name, but on the other hand, it, it definitely connotes a foreignness and certainly for people with a name like Lipschitz or Lipschitz, a very specific Jewish um, yeah. as well. So I did wind up defining those um, as attempts to get rid of Jewish names. And it sounds like mm -hmm. certainly if the family was anxious about, about identifying themselves as Jewish, I, you know, that probably played a role as well. You know, I mean, these things aren't so, they're frequently not so cut and dried. You know what I mean? Right. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of connotations in the names, you know, um, and so I think, I mean, the story that you tell is a really, really interesting one. It's funny. I just assumed it was Moskowitz, actually. Um, That's what I right? said most people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I do think that, um, you know, and, and I think it's really important to, to think about, you know, in the mid-century, how important name conformity was, right? Like we now yeah. live in a moment and your website, right, is like a perfect example of this, the way that like our contemporary culture is so interested in individual and unique names, 
right? right. In, you know, yeah, but that wasn't the case in 1950. There is yeah. absolutely no interest at all, right? In, uh, you know, if somebody else has, you know, you love the name Ava and mm-hmm. somebody, you know, this happened to us, right? Our first kid, you know, we loved the name Ava. And then we saw a friend of ours in Brooklyn, of course. And the friend was like, oh, I don't know, that's getting a little popular. And we were like, oh, no, you know, right. one person has the name, you can't give it. Um, at this moment, that was, you know, in the in the middle of the century, it was a totally different world right. where, you know, any kind of name that drew attention to you might, you know, make you feel really uncomfortable and you might feel like it was going to jeopardize your chances mm-hmm. in education, in business. You know, there was there was a lot more expectation that you would conform with your names. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of brings me to you said there was a difference between the terms passing and covering. And passing is when you have the big secret, basically, and you tell no one, right? right? And then covering is you're not really denouncing your Jewishness and you're not saying you're not Jewish, but you're changing your name for career purposes. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I actually even see passing as being going even a step further where you're really kind of erasing, you know, your connections to the Jewish community, right? Um, You might be marrying somebody who's not Jewish. You might really, I mean, there was a great novel that I used in my book that was written at the time, like in the late forties, that really describes this person kind of scrubbing his identity. Um, And I don't think people Mm -hmm. continually do that. Although I did find evidence of people, you know, Jews marrying non-Jews and erasing their Jewish name because they wanted their children raised Catholic mm-hmm. and they didn't want, you know, any kinds of questions being asked. So when I think of passing, I think it is in, in the way that African-American, that it played a role in the African-American community where you really did kind of have to cross a line um, and in some ways cut some ties. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the African-American example is, is very, very different because of the illegal nature of it and you know, sort of a whole host of right. other things. But to me, passing was really a much more um, kind of extensive effort to, to sort of separate yourself from the Jewish community and really sort of, you know, mm-hmm. passes Gentile. Whereas covering is a term I use, and it's actually a term from um, a book by Kenji Yoshino as well, from work by Irving Goffman, a sociologist from the 60s, a Jewish sociologist who I think was very much thinking of name changing as a part of his determining this, this term. It's basically, you know, where you are not necessarily lying but you're also not necessarily telling anyone right so you go to work mm-hmm. and don't ask to, don't tell like, type of right thing. don't ask don't tell exactly right like you're just gonna go to work and you're gonna have this name moss and you're not gonna use any kind of jewish identification but you mm-hmm. might go home to your jewish life you know it's just a right. matter of kind of trying to paper over anything that's gonna make you look different right um yeah he is he is gay and so you know he might use the example of you know you know, not showing a, not bringing in a picture of your partner, right. And just kind of not talking about your partner. And I see name changing Mm -hmm. as, as kind of functioning like that, right. We're just not, you know, it makes it so exposes my Jewishness, right. To have a Jewish Mm -hmm. name that I'm just going to kind of erase that. And then at work, things will just go so much easier for me. You know what I mean? That that's kind of how I see it. Now, the 2020 U.S. Social Security baby names list, we were trend spotting and Mallory came up with a very interesting trend. Traditional Hebrew and Jewish names coming back onto the charts. So there is obviously a resurgence of pride 
and the older names that were kind of erased. And we, we didn't even talk about changing first names. But you said in your book that first names were also changed along with last names, not as many, but that did happen as well. But now it's coming back. And why do you think that is? So it's fascinating. First, can I just ask, like, what do you mean by tradition? Like, I'm just curious, what, what, what are those names? It was Israel and Levi and Nathaniel, things that were pretty obscure on the charts. Yeah, biblical names for sure. Yeah. Even the name Cohen as a given name. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. My sense of those kinds of names, um, especially a name like Levi, is that that is not necessarily being given by Jews. So, Mm. I mean, living, I don't know. I don't know where you guys all live, but like if you live in Michigan where there's more Christian, um, sort of more evangelical Christian or more sort of serious Christians, it's mm-hmm. more common to actually give kind of obscure biblical names as as Christian names. Right. I would kind of be really interested. That's why I want to know what kinds of names, because sometimes those those kinds of biblical names can actually be used by Christians. So you think it's, it's more of like the trend of using old fashioned names or grandparent names? Mm. I mean, I think, yes, I think that that is absolutely tied to it for sure. I do mm-hmm. think that there is more pride. I mean, I think you also see more Hebrew names. So Shoshana and Shana, right. and, you know, those we kinds of Rivka names. and Azaria and... yeah. The- Abdiel and Moises. Yeah. So, and some of that, so there's a friend of mine, so I don't do as much work on sort of Orthodox Jewish names um, because Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really see as many of them in my files, but I have a friend who's a linguist who does more work on sort of the Orthodox Jewish community. And Mm -hmm. she's written about the ways that the Orthodox Jewish community has in the most recent years, kind of embraced giving their children Yiddish names or, you know, sort of much more Jewish names as the names that go on their birth certificate. Right. But so the larger question you're asking is about sort of, you know, increasing pride um, Mm -hmm. and using first names to identify that. And I do think that there's a truth to that, but I would sort of offer caveats to it that I think are significant. And one of the caveats is that names that also became identified with Jews in like the second generation when there was a lot of sort of, you know, sort of the first generation of immigrants naming their children, they decided to try to give them like the most English sounding names they could. So those are names like Stanley and Milton, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Irving. Those Mm -hmm. names became Jewish names Mm -hmm. in a flash, right? Mm -hmm. No, surely. Nobody (laughs) wanted who was not a Jew. Like, so Jewish communities, you know, in name conformity, they're all saying, yeah, that sounds like a great name. That totally sounds like an English name. So tons of Jewish boys and girls got these names um, in mid-century or, you know, early Mm -hmm. 20s, 30s. And then those totally became Jewish names. Those became Jewish names that- By identification. Yeah, Christians fled from them because they saw them as very stereotypically Jewish names. Well, it's interesting, like you said about the Christians adopting the Jewish names, we have a baby cousin named Abraham. Abraham and Albert are their twins. And that's on our Christian side, actually. <laughs> so. And that's what I was going to say that as well, that to some extent, Jews have also now become really integrated. And so mm-hmm. Christians are embracing more Jewish names, right? There's more of a sense of like biblical names that sound right. like nice biblical names that both Christians and Jews are kind of using for their own yeah. purposes. 
Is this still happening today? Are Jews changing their surnames? Um, so, you know, no. I mean, not in any appreciable numbers. So I did my, I looked at okay. my research. I mean, today already, I mean, I stopped my research in 2012. So I, I, you know, I can't say anything about the last nine years. But even in like 2012 and 2007, the last years that I looked at, name changing is a really different phenomenon now. Um, so no longer is it middle-class people who are really sensitive to their names. Everybody has to fill in application forms. And so actually it has become much more working class and poor people, people of color, and actually women who um, tend much more to be the people who are changing their names now. And they're not necessarily hoping for better jobs for the most part. Um, there are some there are some ethnic exceptions mm-hmm. to that, especially among Asian Americans. Um, but for the most part, right. um, it is working class and poor people who are worried about like any kind of name discrepancy in their social security number, their driver's license, anything mm-hmm. that, you know, forces them to lose days off work. So um, it's, it's a really different phenomenon now. Well, I know that the name bias still happens. And I face that myself because my married name was Latin. I felt it strongly when we were looking for our first home. We were guided to certain neighborhoods, even though that was completely illegal. And um, being a woman in tech, I never had a problem getting interviews or getting a job. But when I took my husband's last name, I was not even getting interviews anymore. Um, I found, and when I did happen to get an interview, they wouldn't look me in the eyes and they dismissed me after a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. And it was just an extremely different experience than applying for a job as Jennifer Moss. Like same resume, same credentials. So I definitely understood what the Jews went through back then. And of course, this, my experience was in the 90s, you know, not too long ago. So I want to be clear about saying like the discrimination is absolutely still there. Like I don't want to make it sound like it's not. Jews are mostly not changing their names. And these groups, you know, Latinos and and Blacks are not necessarily changing their names either. Um, And some of that is about ethnic pride. Um, And some of that, I think, is also about sort of institutional racism. You know, I think it's also just that, you know, people don't necessarily have a sense that they're going to get a better job or that this is going to lead to upward mobility in the way that it did for Jews in the 1940s. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us on the Mm -hmm. podcast. This has been incredibly interesting. And again, the book is A Rosenberg by Any Other Name, A History (laughs) of Jewish Name Changing in America. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to talk to you guys. I really appreciated it. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting. I'm glad Mm -hmm. that Kirsten Vermeglish was able to join us. I loved reading her book, and we'll put the link to her book in the show notes. Now, just as she said that Jewish families would change their names together, that's what happened to our family. My dad and his brother, or our dad and our uncle, decided that they would no longer be a moose. Right. A bullwinkle. (laughs) M-O-O-S without the E. Yes. Which in German to be fair, is pronounced Mose, but... So like Moses. Right. It's it's a form of Moses, actually. Exactly. But here in the U.S., everyone said moose. Now, what's special about being a moose from the area that our family was from is that there was a moose garden where Mm. the mooses (laughs) had outside their house. And do you know who liked to hang out at the moose garden? 
Einstein? The Einstein family. Exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> I know we're somewhat maybe, but maybe not related. Because Einstein actually had a moose in his ancestry. Exactly. But it's a little less clear. <laughs> well, guys, here's a caveat to getting your DNA done. Um, we had our father get a DNA test prior to his passing. And we all got our DNA tests. And then we asked his brother, our uncle, to get a DNA test as well. And everybody was, you know, all hunky-dory. But then we saw that my father and my uncle came out as cousins. And it was really strange. And we didn't understand why. And I did a little digging. And I found out that cousins have the same kind of DNA marker matching as half brothers so we were like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh family secrets now one family secret that came out after my grandma died was that my dad was conceived before his parents got married so that was a big scandal obviously my dad didn't even find out until after his mom had passed but This could be a whole second scandal. So we're all trying to find out, like, who had the different father. Now, most likely, it was probably our dad, since he was conceived before their marriage. And then I think our uncle was born six years later. So that would have been a little more difficult to, you know, fudge, I think, in the family (laughs) history. Yeah, I agree. I think our dad is the one that didn't have the same father based on some of the other DNA results and matches that we encountered. Yeah, and so that means we lost a whole branch of our family tree and we are not mooses. Or mosses. mosses, (laughs) for that matter. Well, we're never mosses. So that was just basically a made-up name. I, I just thought it was interesting that Kristen said that it was really common that large families changed the family surname altogether. Yes. And we will let our audience know if we ever find out who our grandfather is. <laughs> or if you know who our grandfather is, please let us know. If you match Mallory or me in your DNA profile, contact us. Exactly. And now we're going to take a little break and we'll be back with Celebrity Baby News, so don't go away. And now it's time for Celebrity Baby News. <laughs> Of course, immediately after we launched the last episode, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle welcomed their newest member of the royal family, a daughter named Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor. She was born at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital in Santa Barbara, California on Friday, June 4th. Now, per their statement to the press, Lily is named after her great-grandmother, Her Majesty the Queen, whose family nickname was Lilibet for her. Her middle name, Diana, of course, was chosen to honor her beloved late grandmother, the Princess of Wales. So what do you think about the name, Mel? Love it. Me too. I adore the name Lilibet. I think it is so cute, and I promise you it is going to shoot up the charts. I cannot wait until the 2021 list comes out to see if Lilibet even hits the top 1,000, but I'm guessing it will. It's going to shoot right up. I'm 
not sure about shooting, but it's going to appear. I think it's going to be in the top 100. Ooh, 10 bucks. Okay. No, I don't think it's going to be in the top 100 for 2021. There's not enough time. I just made 10 bucks. Okay, we'll see. Actor Tom Welling, most famously known for portraying the role of Clark Kent or Superman on Smallville, and his wife Jessica have welcomed their second child together, a boy named Rocklin Vaughn, R-O-C-K-L-I-N, and then Vaughn, V-O-N. This is their second son who will join big brother Thomas Wilde Welling, who turned two in January. Rocklin. Sounds like a city or a town. I know a Rockland, L-A-N-D. And he, oh, yeah, maybe that's what I'm He thinking goes by of. Rocky. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Celebrity stylists Jason Bolden and Adair Curtis have welcomed their first child together. The couple who star in the reality series Styling Hollywood are the proud parents of a baby boy. Their son arrived via surrogate on May 24th. The reality stars have chosen to name their son... Get this, Arrow Fox. Jason, who styles celebs like Michael B. Jordan and Amanda Gorman, shared a message of hope to other members of the LGBTQ plus community wishing to start a family one day. He says, quote, the biggest thing is to not get discouraged. There's no right way or one way to create a family. The possibility is possible. That's sweet. Yeah, I like that. What I don't like is Arrow Fox. I'm sure the baby's fantastic, but I don't like the name Arrow for first name. Fox is okay for middle name. I like Arrow. I disagree. I just don't like Arrow. An Arrow Fox seems like you're sticking an arrow on a fox. Well, yeah, I don't like that as a vegan, but yeah, I like Arrow. As long as you are practicing archery with a target and not an animal. Well, actor Kevin Connolly, most notably for portraying the role of Eric Murphy on the series Entourage, has welcomed his first child with his partner, Colombian actress Zuleha Niao. Eric and Zule had a girl and chose the name Kennedy Cruz Connolly. <laughs> Kennedy, I can't say that. Kennedy Connolly. Kennedy Connolly. I don't like it. Uh, I'm having trouble with it. Plus, Kennedy means ugly head. Sorry, but it's probably one of the worst meanings of any popular name out there. And we even get, like, hate mail from people who are upset about the meaning. Yeah, like, we created that meaning. We did not create the meaning. It means basically ugly or misshapen head from a helmet. So you know how you get helmet hair (laughs) or hat hair? It's like helmet head. Basically. So I don't know, but yeah, it, it's an old Gaelic name. Country music singer and songwriter Chris Lane and his wife Lauren Bushnell Lane of The Bachelor fame have announced the arrival of their first child together. The couple welcomed a baby boy on June 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. And get this, the baby was nine pounds. Ouch! <laughs> they chose the name Dutton Walker Lane. D-U-T-T-O-N. Sounds like another family surname or something. Very unusual. Well, earlier this month, actress Troyan Belisario, 
made the surprise announcement that she and her husband, fellow actor Patrick Adams, had welcomed their second child together. And if you don't know, Patrick Adams and Meghan Markle were a couple on the TV show Suits. So now he's just copying her because I think they had their first children like within a week, too, or somewhere <laughs> around each other. All right. Well, Troyanne is best known for her role in Pretty Little Liars. Mm-hmm. And she announced that they welcomed a baby girl, Elliot Rowena Adams, on May 15th. I love the name Elliot for girl. Stop interrupting. Go on. This birth story was crazy though as soon as they entered the hospital parking lot Elliot started crowning right there in the car and Patrick had to deliver the baby himself in the car oh my god that's a crazy story everyone is fine though and Elliot joins older sister Aurora who was born in 2018 love both those names good job Patrick and Troyan Last month, country singer Ray Lynn announced on her birthday she was expecting her first child. The God Made Girls singer and her husband Josh Davis will welcome their little one this September. And during her shower celebrations, Ray Lynn revealed the name they've chosen for their daughter, which is going to be Daisy Ray Davis. The guests were not too surprised since the shower was Daisy themed. I love Daisy. I think that is the cutest name in the world. Daisy Davis. I think that is so cute. NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Kristen Welker has welcomed her first child with her husband John Hughes via surrogate. The baby girl was born June 12th and is named Margot Lane Welker Mm. Hughes. Margot is a French form of the name Margaret, meaning pearl. Miranda has a good friend named Margot, and it's it's really unusual nowadays. So I wonder if it's coming back. M-A-R-G-O-T. I like it. The French spelling. Yeah. Actress, comedian, and author Tiffany Haddish has shared that she is taking steps to adopt a child. The actress who is dating rapper Common has previously shared her desire to either adopt or foster a child because she herself said she went through the foster system and wants to help other children who are in need. Hmm, okay. Well, reality stars Jason and Ashley Waller have announced the arrival of their second child together. The couple who star on the MTV series The Hills New Beginnings. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Welcomed a baby boy on June 16th, whom they named Wyatt Ragel Waller, R A G L E. I'm wondering if that's a surname somewhere. Probably, yeah. Wyatt comes after Delilah Ray, who was born in 2017. I love the name Delilah. Yeah, I like those names. Bachelor alums, Ari Okay, I don't watch Bachelor, so Luyendik. Probably Luyendik. Luyendik Jr. and Lauren Burnham welcome their twin babies on June 11th. The couple who announced the gender of their twins in January have added a new baby boy and girl to the family. So far, they've only revealed their twin son's name, Lux, L-U-X. The daughter is still in NICU, so we hope and pray that everything is okay with their daughter and that she gets to come home and they can announce her name too. Absolutely. And in Nick Cannon news... I've been waiting for this. (laughs) On June 14th, TV host and actor Nick Cannon welcomed his second set of twins with DJ Abby De La Rosa, 
two boys. Okay. Just to set this up, his previous children are Moroccan with Mariah Carey, which we deemed the worst celebrity baby name of 2011. Monroe, not bad. Golden and Powerful Queen, born last year. So drum roll, please. What are the twins' names? Zion, Mixolydian, Canon. Mixolydian. Okay, Mixolydian. <laughs> Not Nickelodeon. I didn't say Nickelodeon. I said Mixolydian. Okay, say it again. Zion Mixolydian. Okay. But the middle name is spelled M-I-X-O-L-Y-D-I-A-N. Mixolydian. Mm-hmm. Canon. And Zion's twin is named Zillion. And the middle name, like heir to the throne. So Zillionaire Canon. Oy, oy, oy. Zion and Zillion. Now, Mixolydian is a musical scale, actually. This is Mixolydian. Now, the only difference between Mixolydian and the major scale is the minor seventh. And that's the benefit of having a bachelor's degree in music. Woohoo! Anyway, Zillion is a fake number, you guys. It's when you want to say a lot. And zillionaire, well, that is setting the kid up with expectations unless you plan on leaving a zillion dollars to him. Anyway, I'd say better than Moroccan, but still, what do you think? Um, I think zillionaire is worse than Moroccan. I'm sorry. It is absolutely ridiculously awful. And Moroccan you didn't like because it was a an adjective in front of a noun, right? Moroccan canon. Right. I was like, why not just say Morocco? It just doesn't work for me. Well, they're not going to call him zillionaire. They already started calling him Zilly. Well, Zilly is cute. He's zillion canon which doesn't sound so bad. Because remember, you don't go around saying what your middle name is unless you're like Mary Jo and it's like a double name. Mm -hmm. But maybe he might use that as a stage name, Zillionaire. Who knows? As far as Zion, why didn't they just go with Mix? Mix? Yeah, M-I-X or M-Y-X. Instead of Mixolydian? I don't know. So the Mixolydian scale goes from G to G. So does that mean anything? I have no idea. You're the music person. Well, I mean, does it mean anything to the canons? That's what I'm asking. Well, do they ever explain why they pick names? Well, not that I've seen. But Nick, if you're out there, call into the show and we'll discuss it. Because we want to know the story behind the name. You know, we diss the names, but we don't diss the children. That's exactly right. And on that note, For up-to-the-minute celebrity baby news, go to babynames.com and click Celebrities in the menu. And now our last segment is when we take letters from our listeners. Dear Mallory and Jennifer, my partner and I have just started trying for a baby, but we've been talking about baby names for a long time. We like unusual names, but don't have many favorites that are overlapping. For example, he likes old-fashioned names like Jarvis, Rudy, Harriet, and Heather. All names that I cannot imagine for my children. My style is more influenced by my Scandinavian roots and strong-sounding names such as Axel, Viggo, Ewan, and Keziah. Little Vikings, if you will. All these names have more or less been axed by my partner already, no pun intended. (laughs) The one we both like, however, is 
hazel. But here's the kicker. We like hazel for a boy. We got inspired while watching the show Umbrella Academy, where there's a minor male character named Hazel. We love the sound, the potential nickname of Haze, and the link to nature. But we're also aware that there are teasing possibilities, as it's mostly a name used for girls and grandmas. Side note, we live in Australia in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, a place where people name their kids Delphinia, Indigo, Apollo, and (laughs) Juniper. My partner has worked as an early childhood educator for 21 years, and he's never had a hazel. I was born in Sweden. And according to their charts, there's only 178 girls and two boys with this name there. Oh, plus she says, thank you for the amazing episode on Jewish names in the Holocaust, by the way. It was extremely interesting and enlightening. She loves Jewish names and have has a few of them on her list. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. Much love, Stina. Well, Stina... Not a fan. Of Hazel for a boy? But I think there are alternatives that can be used. Okay. What I would do is just replace the Z. So you could do Hashel, H-A-S-H-E-L. That rhymes with Dashel, Mm -hmm. which was popular for a while. But I think Dashel actually might be a good choice, like Dashel Hammett. Right. What do you think, Jen? Um, I agree. I don't think it's something that you want to attempt because of course you know what we say our number one rule is try to experience the name from the perspective of the child and there will be a lot of confusion you know and there are some great h names for boys hamish that's not hazel but it's cute. There's Hansen if you want to go for like last names. Mm-bop. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, huh? <laughs> you know, there's the Henrys or Henrik, Herbert, Herb. I kind of like Hugo or How, Howard, Hugh, Howie. I love Hugo. And you know what my favorite H name is? What? Horatio. Horatio. Yeah. Now, you can't call him whore, obviously, but Harry, maybe. They'd probably call him H. Or H. That's so cute. CSI Miami, what was his first name? Yeah, he was Horatio. Horatio Kane. Bosch is, oh, Hieronymus. That's kind of cool, right. too. Because that's after the artist. Right. Bosch. Yeah, he, that fictional detective is named after the actual artist, Hieronymus Bosch. And they call him Harry on the show. Okay, so Stina, we're saying no on a boy named Hazel, like a boy named Sue. I say go back to the drawing board and keep name storming. All right, and on the flip side, why don't you read the second letter, Mel? All right. Hello, I just recently started listening to your podcast because my husband and I are finally pregnant. It took three years in IVF and we're so excited. Well, congratulations. Yes. My family has historically named all the women with men's names. It was supposedly so women could own land in the 1900s. My name is Logan. My sister is Duncan. My mother is Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y. I have a grandma, Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N. 
great grandma, Thomas, etc. Wow. We all have girl middle names like Alexa, Don, Delaney, in case we don't like our given name. Interesting. Okay. So they have something to fall back on. We want to continue this tradition if the baby is a girl. We, of course, don't want anything tremendously popular or modern. My favorite names so far are Francis and Alistair. I frankly have no idea what female names to use for a middle name. Our last name is Eiler. Isn't any suggestion or additional boy names or good girl middle names are greatly appreciated. Thanks, Logan. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go back to Elliot. I love that for a girl. Elliot Eiler? Oh, Elliot Eilers. Yeah, that might be hard to say. Ellie Eilers? That's kind of cute, though. Yeah, because you can go with Ellie if you want to feminize it. Or Lottie, if you think about it. What about Spencer? I love Spencer. Of course, that is kind of relating to Princess Diana. Right, but I'm just talking about as a good girl name. Yeah, Spencer. You know, there was an actress named Michael Learned. So Michael has been used as a girl's name. Yeah, I don't like Michael for a girl. And then you can go with some of the surnames. I mean, um, Delaney is a surname. And Logan was originally a surname. So you can start looking through our site under the surname section. And I bet you'd come up with a great gender neutral name. I think that's a great idea. Okay, there we go. And if you want to talk about this or any other episode, or just want to talk about names in general, join our Facebook group. Just search for the Baby Names Podcast on Facebook. Mallory and I are in there all the time. So that's it, folks. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And bye, Mal. Love you a zillion. Love you a mixolydian. <laughs> mixolydian. <laughs>